be back in a place that is nice and dry and warm. I heard that y'all have some cold weather too. She ain't got nothing on the snow. At least she did not have snow. Having to watch every step. Who's been in snowy areas, like lived in snowy areas before? Scraping that stuff off your car, I, you know what, I would just quit. I would, living in those places, I mean, you, you don't think, you don't think Pastor Earl's daughter, Brianna, who came along on the trip, you know, it started to snow our first day there. The, the night that we came in, it was already sleeting on the drive to the hotel, and the next morning we woke up and it's just white everywhere. The whole night it just sleet and snow, and so I took a picture of it, and she said, yes. I prayed for that. I said, I'm glad you identified yourself. <laughs> and I told her, I, I texted her back. I said, now, when you were praying for the snow, did you tell God to leave off the ice and the sleet? Because, see, we don't think about that. Us from down here in these warm areas, we just think fluffy white stuff that's fun to look at and play in. Uh, you know, and be in, but you don't think about the stuff that's underneath the snow. And, um, you know, for someone that's lived in that kind of area before and, um, and, and sees it, and obviously not on as a consistent basis as these other, you know, northern states, but where I came from, you know, in Dallas-Fort Worth area, we get it. We get more ice than snow. We get snow maybe every three or four years, but we got an icy time every year. We loved it because they shut down everything. They shut down everything. I mean, Walmart's not even open if the snow is, if there's ice on the ground. They don't know what to do in it. A gridlock, you know, take you three hours to go, you know, two miles. Um, you know, it's ridiculous. And so, uh, you know, but we were there. We, we, we got our, our fill of the cold. But, amen, we got filled on the word and the spirit. It was uh, an amazing, refreshing time uh, to be uh at Rama once again, receiving and, and hearing. Um, and, and I'm going to tell you right now, I, I haven't done a whole lot of it, you know, in our first few years here. Uh, but you're going to begin hearing more about Rama and about what we're doing as a result of being. I mean, we are a product of Rama, And most of you in this room probably don't even know what I mean when I say Rama, Rama Bible Training College. It was a training center when I was there. Uh, but you're going to learn. Um, because we are a product of that. We are fruit of that ministry. We, we are fruit of Kenneth e. Hagen and the mandate that God sent to him. Um, and so us being a Rama church, um, I'm officially licensed and ordained through Rama myself, uh, as well as Anchor Faith uh, Church down in St. Augustine. But Anchor Faith Church in St. Augustine is a product of Rama. And so uh, even though some of you may have no idea what I mean when I say that, uh, you will be learning very shortly um, about what Rama is doing. There are over 200. When, when I was in school, I graduated 12 years ago, 2003. I graduated. There was, I, I, I want to say, less than five Rama Bible training colleges around the world. We had the one in Tulsa, and uh, since Brother Hagen passed away in 2003, uh, we now have over 205. We have established about 200 Rama Bible training colleges around the world. So not only is Tulsa producing ministers of the gospel, but now they're producing schools that are producing ministers of the gospel. It's the fruit of our fruit. And so it's exciting to see uh, what has been produced. And, and they celebrated 40 years. This year was 40 years of the 
the college. 1975 was the first graduating class. Here we are, 2015. And what God has done in just 40 short years, um, you know, you, you have no idea uh, what we're a part of. And, and we talk about that all the time, that we are a part of something bigger than us. We're a part of something down in St. Augustine, yes, but we are also connected to something that's being birthed out of Tulsa, Oklahoma. And um, so it was good to be back uh, home in one sense, uh, because that's where uh, I cut my teeth spiritually. I, I mean, I was following Kenneth uh, Hagen since I was about six, seven years old, um, and to have the privilege of attending school there and be a product of everything that God is doing uh, from that ministry is awesome, and you're a part of that, and so you need to be educated, need to learn what you are a part of. Amen? Turn with me to Mark chapter 16. Mark chapter 16. We're continuing in our series on the Holy Spirit. It's who he is, not what. It's who. He is a person. He, he, he. He is a person. The Holy Spirit's not a weird feeling or a presence or an atmosphere or an environment or a power. It just does weird things and makes you do weird things. He is a person. And so we've been discovering the third person of the Godhead. And it was kind of cool because I've been making this statement for a long time now. I've been making this statement for at least three years since I've been here. Making this statement that we know a lot about God. We know a lot about Jesus. But both of them are in heaven. But here we are on the earth. And God has sent someone. Jesus prayed to his father and said, send them someone in my place that will replace me, that will be a substitute for me, that can live with them and abide with them, fellowship with them forever. And that person is the Holy Spirit. So we know a lot about God. We know a lot about Jesus. Both of them are in heaven. And here we are on the earth, and we don't know very much about the one who's here on the earth with us, the Holy Spirit. And actually, uh, Pastor Kenneth Hagin, Ken Kenneth E. Hagin's son, Kenneth Hagin, uh, Jr., he made that statement this week. So if we, we, in our churches, we talk all the time about God. We talk all the time about Jesus. But the Holy Spirit is, is the one that uh, where we don't give a whole lot of attention to, yet he's the one we need to be given the most attention to, if I can put it that way. And when I say the most, I'm not neglecting God and Jesus. They are one. They are Trinity. They are three in one. So when you're operating in the Holy Spirit and abiding with the Holy Spirit, in essence, you're abiding with God. It's God's Spirit. That is how God is manifesting himself to his people today. And so we've got to learn about who the person of the Holy Spirit is. And, and, and it, it is so vital. I mean, I, I've just received so much confirmation this past week that we have started this year out correctly. We've been ministering on the Holy Spirit since the first Sunday in January this year. This is now our seventh week in this lesson. We obviously had a, a couple weeks where, uh, you, you know, we had Pastor Darrow in for one week, and um, I don't remember what other week. So there have been some, but as long as I've been in the pulpit preaching on Sundays, this is what we've been talking about. And it's necessary. It's necessary because a church without the Holy Spirit is not a church. I'm just going to go ahead and tell you. You can't be. It's impossible. It's impossible to be the church of Jesus Christ and not be obtaining and operating in his Holy Spirit. You're not the church of Jesus Christ. And so, you know, the one that we've been trying to neglect, the one that we've been trying to push out, the one we've been trying to squeeze out, is the very one that we need to be operating in and operating by 
if we're going to see uh, the church be as powerful as we're called to be. And that's what we've been taking a look at the last couple of weeks is the power of the Holy Spirit. We saw, first of all, at, at the point of salvation, the Holy Spirit comes and he lives in us. But there's a being filled with the Holy Spirit. There's a, a, a second involvement with the Holy Spirit that the church needs. And that's the part that we don't hear a lot about. But the reason we need that is because we need the power. We don't need to be just talking the kingdom. We need to be walking the kingdom. We need to be doing the kingdom. We saw last week that Jesus went about doing good, not just being good. Church is not just about being a good person. Church is about doing the things that Jesus did when he was on the earth. We are the body of Christ. That means everything that Jesus is doing, he's doing through you and I, his church. And, and, and I mean, if I'm not careful, I could just end up re-preaching every single message. We could be here all day long. But I'm trying to at least give you a little bit of, of refreshment. I'm going to give you a little bit of uh, encouragement and remind you of where we're at and, and the direction that we're going. But we've got to be a church that reveals the power of God. And that's not something we have cared for so much. These days, the church has been something that wins the lost and gets people in heaven. Ultimately, that is what we have resorted the church to do. And although that is uh, an entity of the church, see, the signs and the miracles are not the end, but they are the means to the end. They're not the end. They're not what we're looking for. In fact, people got in trouble in the Bible when they were just looking for signs and wonders and miracles. Jesus had a hard time with that. He had people coming to him just saying, uh, show us a sign, show us a miracle. And the only reason they followed him is because they wanted to see something he did rather than do something he taught. And what does the Holy Spirit do? Leads, guides, teaches, reminds you of things that Jesus said, shows you things to come. He's a revealer of truth. We're not filled with the Holy Spirit so we can run around and have Holy Ghost meetings and then, uh, you know, and do a bunch of signs and wonders and act like churchy people and then go out and be, you know, act a completely different lifestyle outside of here. But those things will bring people into the kingdom. Period. So you don't come to church because you want to see someone healed. You don't go to a meeting because you just want a, you know, a real good Holy Ghost time, a really good Holy Ghost revival. But yet what happens in those meetings should put us into action. See, the Holy Spirit operates in two ways. He operates in two ways. Number one, he operates by action. Being filled with the Holy Spirit will move you to action, move you to do something based upon the power that comes and, and fills you. But then he also operates by unction. What's that? That's the revealing side of the Holy Spirit. There's a power side of the Holy Spirit. There's a revealing side. There's an action side and there's an unction side. Unction is the Holy Spirit telling me, prompting me to do something or not do something. And again, I'm taking you all the way back to the beginning of our series. The apostles in the Bible were dependent on the unction of the Holy Spirit. There was one time in the book of Acts that they got together and, and they said, we can't go there because the Holy Spirit will not permit us to. 
When's the last time the Holy Spirit did not permit you to do something? And then the question is, did you obey? When's the last time the Holy Spirit told you to do something? And did you obey? See, the Holy Spirit will tell you what to do, and he'll tell you what not to do. But he won't make you do it, and he won't make you not do it. We've had this misconception that, well, if the Holy Spirit comes on me, I don't have any other choice. I don't have an option. And I I hope that we've seen so far that there is a yielding required. The Holy Spirit is a helper. He doesn't do things instead of us. He helps us do it. Okay? And so we have been looking at this, and today... Uh, we're going to get into the part that I think we, uh, we as a church whole have the, the, the biggest issue with when it comes to the Holy Spirit, and that is the speaking in tongues. Being filled with the Holy Spirit with the evidence of speaking in tongues. And today I'm going to go line upon line. I'm going to show you that in the Word of God that there is a praying in another language, whether known or unknown, that is a result of being filled with the Holy Spirit. So let's start here in Mark chapter 16. Mark chapter 16 and verse 15. Jesus is speaking and he said to them, Go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. Who is he writing this to? Who is he speaking this to? Obviously at that point in time he's speaking this to his disciples before he ascends into heaven. But the thing about the Bible is the Bible is not just written to the people in that time frame. God arrests them, and now he's writing to all of us. And we all receive that. What do we call this? The Great Commission. How many of you believe it is the responsibility of every single individual in the church, in the body of Christ, to go out and preach the gospel to every creature? Is he writing this to just a select type of person? No. He's not just writing this to fivefold ministers. He's, just not, he's not writing this to, 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 to those who are licensed and ordained for ministry. He's not writing this to people that hold a microphone and preach behind a pulpit every Sunday. He's not writing this to pastors, teachers, evangelists, prophets, apostles. We all believe that he is writing this to every single individual that comes into the kingdom. This is the Great Commission. Secondly, how many of you believe this is optional? How many of you believe we have the option? He's saying, I would like you to if you get a chance. Is he saying, maybe go preach? No. So we know, number one, this is written to everybody. Not just a select group. And number two, we know that this is not an option. This is our mandate. This is who we are, and what we're supposed to do. Amen? In agreement there? Good. All right. If you're not, we'll talk about it later. I'm not going to talk about it right now. Verse 16. He who believes and is baptized will be saved, but he who does not believe will be condemned. And these signs will follow those who what? Believe. Does it say that these signs will follow fivefold ministers? No. Does it say these signs will follow pastors? No. Does it say that this will follow specific people that are given a certain gift? No. It says it will follow believers. Can I see the hands of every believer in this room? If you are a believer, okay, very good. So these signs will follow those who believe. In my name they will cast out demons. 
they will speak with new tongues. Now, here's a, a foundation I need to lay for you. Because I believe one of the reasons that we get so hung up on tongues and new tongues is because we don't, we don't value our words. We don't value our words. We don't value what we say. That's why we say things like, my back is killing me. Right? Come on, I, I say it too. I'm preaching to myself. Oh, you're killing me, man. This thing is driving me crazy. We say these words, and because we don't value the words that come out of our mouth, we just think they just go into the air and disappear. But if you know anything about God, and if you know anything about how he values his words, anything that is uttered carries power, creative power. You can literally change your life by what you say. You can literally change your situation by what you say. And I know I'm getting a lot of looks in this room like, are you kidding me? I can change my financial situation just by talking about it? Yeah. Talking to it? Come on, we do this naturally. You, you, go, you, 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 you go see a specialist in these things, and they're going to say, just be more positive. If you just talk positive, you're going to feel a little bit better about yourself. Just naturally speaking. I'm not even putting any spiritual emphasis on it right now. If you just say different things, you'll begin to feel different. And then you'll find out I'll get a different result. Well, that's a spiritual thing. What did Jesus say to do about a mountain in your life? Did he say go chip it down? Did he say go get a hammer and start picking at it? Did he say go around it? Did he say find a way over it? No, he said speak to it. Talk. Say some words to it. Why? Because God values words. How did he create the world? In the beginning, he created light. In the beginning, he molded light. In the beginning, he formed light. No, it says, in the beginning, he said, let there be light. And what happened? Was there light? Off of just his words? And then you go down 26 verses and you find out that he's made you and I in his same image and his same likeness. Likeness means function. That means if his words create things, your words create things. So we've got to understand our words. They will speak with new tongues. Why does he want you to speak with new tongues? Because your old way of talking isn't going to work in the new way of living. Your old way of talking and saying things isn't going to work in the kingdom of God. So it would just be regular then that if I'm going to switch kingdoms, I'm going to have to switch my talking. Go over to another country and, and, and good luck articulating and communicating in your own language to them without what? An interpreter. I've been out of the outside of this country and, it, and it's, it's ridiculous trying to have a conversation with people that you don't know their language and they don't know your language. 
you're trying to find common ground. You're, you're trying to find, you're, you're looking around, trying to find something to help you express what you're saying. But I've found it's just a lot easier if you just have an interpreter. Someone that knows both languages. Someone that can reveal to me what that person's saying and reveal to them what I'm saying. Why? Because it's a different country which requires a different language. Well, when you go into the kingdom of God, you're not going to be able to talk the way you talk. You can't come into the kingdom of God and go to God and say, my life is just falling apart. I'll take a step further. You can't go in the kingdom of God and go before God and say, God, if you're willing. That's not his talk. God doesn't talk that way. God's never talked that way. Why would you say if to a God that knows the past, present, and future? Why would you say if to a God that knows your future better than you know your own past? And you would say if? What do you mean if? He knows. He knows the future. Why would I use the word if as if he doesn't know what's going on or what's going to happen? He knows the future like you and I know the past. You know what you did yesterday, but he knows what you're going to do tomorrow just as well as you know what you did yesterday. So we come into the kingdom. Well, we need a new tongue. We need a new way of talking. Remember, I told you before that the Holy Spirit operates with us the way that a governor, a Roman governor, would operate. They would take a Roman governor and put them over an area. Why? So that the people in that territory could learn the Roman ways. And that included everything. That included the Roman history, Roman tradition, Roman culture, and Roman talking. Those people had to learn how to reverence a king, someone that they maybe didn't even want to support. But because Roman government came in and took over, well, that's what the Holy Spirit does. We've had a government come in our lives and take over. We have had a government, a kingdom. The kingdom of God has come into our lives, and now we have the Holy Spirit. He's the governor He's the one teaching us the kingdom culture. No, we don't operate by hate anymore. We operate by love. The Bible tells me in Romans that that the love of God has been poured out in my heart by the Holy Spirit. He shows me how to walk in love instead of hate. He shows me how to operate in peace rather than fear. He shows me how to operate in joy rather than depression and worry. He shows me how to be long-suffering with people rather than impatient and short with people. He shows me how to be faithful. He shows me how to be good. He shows me how to have self-control. It's the culture of the kingdom. It's the Holy Spirit. So he comes in, and one of the things that he changes is you will speak with new tongues. They will Take up serpents. That word take up, by the way, means to cast off or pass away. It's not talking about going and actively grabbing a hold of snakes and trying to prove that you are in a new kingdom. It means that when the evil tries to come upon you, you can cast it off. That's what that means. 
If they drink anything deadly, it will by, by no means hurt them. What does that mean? That means you have kingdom protection. You have protection over your life that anything that the enemy would try to bring against you will not. So, they will lay hands on the sick and they will recover. We have a mandate to heal. Sick where? Anywhere. Sick in their bodies. Sick in their minds. Sick in their soul. Sick in their spirits. They will lay hands on and heal. Heal is just another word for save. We'll save them. And they might recover. They maybe will recover. No, it says, and they will recover. So in all of this, we have seen that even Jesus himself spoke of new tongues. New tongues. And then we get over to Acts chapter 2. Acts chapter 2. Now, going as you're turning there, let me, let me show you the two arguments that I was making. Okay? I brought up two arguments. I said that no one in this room believes that the Great Commission, going around the world, preaching the gospel to every creature, nobody believes, number one, that that's only for a specific people, and nobody believes that it's optional. Then why do we make the rest of that stuff either about a specific person or optional? It's all the Great Commission, not just the preaching the gospel to every creature. Laying hands on the sick, it's for everybody, and it's not optional. Speaking in new tongues, for everybody, and it's not optional. You can't just go and pick and choose what you want to be the Great Commission and what you don't want to be the Great Commission. Well, that's easy. I can witness to people, but I don't know about laying hands on the sick and seeing them recover. You can't do that. You, you, you don't have the right to go in and pick out verses and determine. No, we need to rightly divide the word of truth. The whole thing is the Great Commission. The whole thing is the mandate you and I are sent to do. The whole thing is what we are called to do. Every single person has the ability and the opportunity, and every single person has the requirement. It's not optional. So Acts chapter 2, when the day of Pentecost, remember, remember Jesus in Acts chapter 1 said, go and wait, go and wait, go and wait. There is a waiting. We've got the great commission and you can just see the disciples, you know, just, you know, ready to go. Hey, let's do this thing. But they had to wait for the Holy Spirit. And when the day of Pentecost had fully come, they were all with one accord in one Place And suddenly there came a sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind, as of, as of, there was no wind, there was a sound that sounded like a mighty rushing wind, and it filled the whole house where they were sitting. Then there appeared to them divided tongues, divided on each person, not just one big tongue, as of fire, as of fire, not fire, but as of fire, and one sat upon each of them, and they were all filled Filled, filled with the Holy Spirit. They've already had the Holy Spirit come within them, but now they're being filled with the power of the Holy Spirit. Now they were filled 
with the Holy Spirit and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. They began to speak. Began to speak. That tells me this, that this was a continual thing. This was just the beginning of their speaking. They began to speak. They began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Now, who's doing the speaking? The disciples. Who's giving the utterance? The Holy Spirit. In essence, you can say it this way. Who's doing the speaking? The disciples. Who's telling them what to say? The Holy Spirit. As they began to speak with other tongues, as the Spirit gave them utterance. The Holy Spirit is not the one doing the talking. The Holy Spirit did not grab their tongue and start moving it up and down and making noises and giving them uh, something to say. And they began to speak, showing a continuance, as the Holy Spirit gave them utterance, told them what to say. They began to speak with other tongues as the Holy Spirit gave them utterance. The tongues that they're speaking in is an unknown tongue. What does that mean? It is not known to the one speaking. They began speaking in a language that they did not even know. In fact, you know, if we continue reading here, it tells us that they, that there were people on the street that began hearing them pray, hearing them speak in tongues in a language that they knew. But remember, these are uneducated fishermen. These aren't people that went to school, you know, and knew multiple languages. They're uneducated. So, we see here that the Holy Spirit gave them utterance. But as we've stated before, it required a yielding by the individual. Giving yourself to the Holy Spirit. Go on to 1 Corinthians chapter 14. These are, uh, I'm sorry, not 1 Corinthians, Acts chapter 10. Acts chapter 10. Acts chapter 10. Come on, you need to stay with me this morning. I don't care if you're tired. You need to stay with me. This is important. This, isn't, this is serious stuff. We are in the last days. We're about to get into some last day stuff because that's what we just heard about all week long. And it's churches that don't understand the times that are going to miss the boat. It's churches that don't understand the seasons and the signs. Watch the news. Do we not believe that we are in the last days? And the church is not meant to sit on the couch, watch the news, and just pray for God to come and deliver them out of it. In fact, Jesus prayed himself, I'm not praying that you take them out of the world. I'm praying that you keep them from the evil one. 
And it's a spirit-filled church. A spirit-filled church. That is going to thwart every attack of the enemy. It's a spirit-filled church that is going to change what we're seeing in the world today. I don't mean it's going to get better because we're absolutely promised it's going to get worse. But we're here for a reason, guys. The church is in the earth today for a reason. So we don't have time to play games and we don't have time to to make the sacrifice to come into church and then not give attention to the word. This is a very timely word that we're receiving right now. So Acts chapter 10, we know that Peter goes to the Gentiles, preaches to them the gospel that they've never heard before. And in Acts chapter 10, verse 46, it says, For they heard them speak with tongues and magnify God. Speak with tongues and magnify God. This was the Holy Spirit praying with the Gentiles. It says back up in verse 44, While Peter was still speaking these words, the Holy Spirit fell upon all of them, upon all those who heard the word. All those, not a select group, not a certain. In fact, this, if there was any select group that wouldn't get it, it would be the Gentiles. These are the guys on the outside looking in. The Holy Spirit fell upon all those who heard the word. The gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out, verse 45 says. And verse 46 says, for they heard them speak with tongues. And then if you go over to Acts chapter 11, starting with verse 15, Peter is recounting this. And in verse 15 he says, And as I began to speak, the Holy Spirit fell upon them, upon them, as upon us at the beginning. Well, what's he talking about? He's talking about Acts chapter 2. The way we received, it's the way they received. The Holy Spirit fell upon them, and they began speaking in other tongues. Then I remembered the word of the Lord, verse 16, how he said, John indeed baptized with water, but you shall be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Who's he talking about? John the Baptist. Because John already talked about this all the way back in Matthew chapter 3. I baptize you with water, but there's one coming after me that will baptize you with fire and the Holy Spirit. So Peter's just remembering stuff. He's like, you know, guys, uh, this isn't anything new. John the Baptist told us this would happen. Before Jesus even came, he said that water baptism was not the end. There's more. If, therefore, God gave them the same gift as he gave us when we believed in the Lord Jesus Christ, who was I that I could withstand God? Why would, I withstand, why would I stand in the way of somebody receiving the Holy Spirit? When they heard these things, they became silent. They glorified God, saying, Then God has also granted to the Gentiles repentance of life. The same gift that Jesus promised us, he's given to them. Acts chapter 19. Acts chapter 19. Now, Paul was at Ephesus, and he shows up in verse 2. He said to them, did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? And they said to him, we have not so much as heard whether there is a Holy Spirit. 
since they believed. So Paul is talking about a separate instance from salvation. He's talking about since you believed, since you came into the kingdom, since you received salvation, since you confessed Jesus as your Lord, have you received the Holy Spirit? A second occurrence. And they said, well, we haven't even heard about a Holy Spirit. And he goes on down to verse 6. And when Paul had laid hands on them, the Holy Spirit came upon them and they spoke with tongues and prophesied. They spoke with tongues and prophesied. Now, again, we're going to go, uh, we're going to take steps with this. I'm not going to talk to you today about the role of tongues and interpretation of tongues in our church. I'm going to talk to you today about the power of speaking in tongues on the personal level for personal edification. But here, out of three witnesses in the book of Acts, Jesus, if you, if you count Jesus in Mark chapter 16, that's four, tell us that there is a speaking in new tongues that comes as a result of receiving the Holy Spirit, the infilling of the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit coming upon you. There's the Holy Spirit coming within you at salvation. There's the second occurrence of the Holy Spirit coming upon you. At that time, you receive power. That's where we put our emphasis was the power of the Holy Spirit to go out and do the works that Jesus did. I mean, why can't you? Why can't you be at work and have a co-worker tell you that they're not feeling well or they're feeling under the weather? And stop right there and lay hands on them and pray healing into them and believe that they'll recover. What stops us? We've got to receive the power. You know what else comes with the, the, the Holy Spirit coming upon you? Boldness. Boldness is the ability to do Without hesitancy. It's the ability to say. It's the ability to act. It's the ability to become. With no reservation. I'm bold so I just do it. And we see that God gave boldness. As a result of. I mean you're talking about. You're talking about 12 disciples. That ran. When Jesus was being arrested. Peter denied Jesus three times. Three times, not just once. Three times. And he was even told that he would do it and still did it. But yet these men are filled with boldness. Why? The power of the Holy Spirit. The power of the Holy Spirit. You don't just get bold about the gospel without the Holy Spirit. Not the power of the Holy Spirit. So we see that there are some byproducts and the evidence of receiving the Holy Spirit is speaking in new tongues. Now we have some other terms for this. And I'm just going to educate you. I know that there are several people in this room that are, don't have the background that I do. Pentecostal background, the charismatic background, a word of faith background. So these may be new terms, but you need to educate yourself with them. They're not necessarily found in the Bible, but they are terms that refer to an instance of praying in tongues. So praying in tongues, we also call it an unknown language. Paul called it an unknown language. 
He even called it the language of angels, an an unknown language. Uh, We call it a heavenly language. Heavenly language. Praying in the Spirit. Praying in the Spirit. If If I prompt you to let's all pray in the Spirit, you need to know what that means. Praying in the Spirit. I'm referring to let's speak in our heavenly language in an unknown tongue. Okay? So you need to know these terms. 1 Corinthians chapter 14. First Corinthians chapter 14. We are a spirit-filled church. And I, and I don't apologize for that. I never have. Never have. There, you know, there's, I don't even apologize for the, the, the incorrect things. Here, I, here's the thing that I've just decided. I would rather have a church service that the Holy Spirit moves in, that God has the agenda, God has a schedule, and God has his way, with a little bit of emotionalism and a little bit of incorrect things that man may do, than a service where man is in full control and we have no God. Did you get that? As your pastor, guarding the flock, guarding the sheep, doing my job as a shepherd of this church, I'm not going to throw the baby out with the bathwater. I'm not going to throw out the Holy Spirit because maybe one or two people do it wrong. And and you're not talking to someone that hasn't been there. Because I've been there. I've been in those services. Well, you look around and you see some silly stuff go on. God used man doing silly stuff for 7,000 years. Why would he stop now? He calls a man that commits adultery as a king, sleeps with another woman, has a child with that woman, and then has the husband killed. And he calls him a man after my own heart. You look at Samson. Given a special gift by God to deliver his people. And he becomes selfish and narcissistic and cares about himself. And he becomes more concerned with the love of a woman that he's not even supposed to be in relations with. And yet he still uses that man to take out over more Philistines than he had killed in his lifetime. In one shot. Why do we get upset with people that move incorrectly when God doesn't? And guys, I'm not promising that we'll ever have somebody do something incorrectly. As we begin to move in the spirit, as we begin to see things. I've been in services where someone started to give a tongue or an interpretation. And it's had to be stopped because it just wasn't the moment. Well, that's embarrassing. I would never go go back to that church. Why not? Because you don't care to have a pastor that 
cares about the flock enough to get it right. I, I, I've, I've been in services where someone's given a tongue and you just know, ah, no. Either that tongue was for them personally and wasn't for the whole church, or it didn't fall in line with what the words that it wasn't edifying. And the pastors had to get up and correct it. Am I looking at anybody in this room that's never had to be corrected in any area of your life? Did you come out of the, did you never fall down when you were learning how to walk? Did you never pick up food with your hands instead of using a fork and a spoon? Did you never take a bowl of spaghetti and dump it on your head? Am I talking to people that, that knew how to do it right as soon as you came into the kingdom? I don't think so. But I would rather have a service where the Holy Spirit is allowed to move and have his way. And maybe we have some issues because those things can be corrected. But to just shut it all down and say that's uncomfortable for people and nobody likes that. Nobody wants to be embarrassed. And, 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 and then people can come in that don't know what's going on and, and just think we're crazy. Yeah, I know it's in the Bible. We'll talk about it. First Corinthians fourteen twenty two. We'll talk about it. But what happened? What do you do if all this stuff is going on and, and, and people come in that don't know what's going on? They're going to call you crazy. They're going to say you're insane is what the Bible says. Well, they call the disciples and apostles crazy. They call Jesus crazy. You got a problem being called crazy? Do you want to look normal to the world? Is that what we want to do? We want to bring in so much of the world into our church that we don't see a dividing line anymore? We don't see the difference between church and the world. We're just entertaining people. We're just making you feel good with our messages. We're not giving you a word that changes your life. We're not helping people grow. Because we don't want the world to feel uncomfortable. Now, I, I know for the most part I'm looking at a room full of believers. But if there was anybody in here that didn't know Jesus, just preaching Jesus can be uncomfortable. It will be uncomfortable. You know, you know. Those people, once they learn that you're a Christian at your work, there's a little bit of uncomfortability going on. That's why they say things like, oh, you're a Christian. I'm not going to cuss around you. Oh, wait, I'm sorry. I slipped. Excuse my, excuse my language. Excuse my French. Well, I've never heard French like that before. Why do they say those things? Because they know there's something different between me and you. Come on, if we're just going to throw things out that the Bible says are true and are so. And justify it as, well, we're reaching the lost. See, these people didn't have an issue because when they came to church, they were believers. Because they were winning the lost out there. They weren't saying, hey, you need to come to church with me and Pastor Paul can win you to the Lord. No, they would do it out there. Philip would get in a chariot with the guy reading the Bible. And he didn't say, well, man, you need to come to church with me this weekend. I believe you'll get saved. You need to go down the front. I'll go down the front with you. No, he explained the scripture to him. Philip explained the scripture to him. Got him saved, got him baptized right there on the spot. He didn't even have to go find somebody. Somebody. 
us raising a generation that doesn't think for themselves anymore. We're raising a generation that's not out winning the loss for themselves. We're just, we're, we're, we've turned our church services. Look, this service is not geared towards the loss, and it never will be. Sure, I hope the lost come in because they're going to hear a word that's going to identify, I need that. I need the kingdom. That's what I've been searching for. But I'm not going to gear it towards the lost so that all of our growing, maturing believers in the service don't get fed. This is the place where you get fed and then you go out and do. That's what this is. I'm kind of jumping into my message next week a little bit because we're going to talk about the role of the gifts and tongues specifically in our church services. Today I'm wanting to talk to you about the personal, but I'm just trying to help you see that we're, we are in, the church is in a posture today of tolerance rather than dependence. What can I tolerate from the Holy Spirit? What can I allow rather than just letting him have free reign? We are in a place today in our churches where pastors are scared of giving the Holy Spirit move, allowing him to move. And as a result, we have people that are scared to let the Holy Spirit move in their own personal individual lives. Since the pastor doesn't listen to the Holy Spirit when the Holy Spirit says we need to go to this song, we need to do this, and we need to go to this point in service, then we're just raising up people that don't listen to the Holy Spirit and say, you don't need to go there, you don't need to do that, you need to say this, you need to go talk to this person, you need to give this person that. And they don't listen. They don't obey. We've got to learn. Look what he says in verse 1. 1 Corinthians 14, verse 1. Pursue love and desire. Desire spiritual gifts. Pursue love and desire spiritual gifts. Why does he say pursue love and desire spiritual gifts? Why does he say go after love and have a hunger for spiritual gifts? Because neither of them come naturally. You have to want it. You're not just naturally going to want to be filled with the Holy Spirit and speak in new tongues. You're not just naturally going to want to walk in love with somebody. And so I love that he gives us this picture with love because he's identifying as bad as you have to go after love, you have to go after spiritual gifts. They will not just overtake you and say, man, I just feel like loving everybody today. Even the people that hurt me, even the people that stabbed me in the back. The Bible tells me to love my enemies. I just can't wait to love on someone that hates my guts. And it's the same with spiritual gifts. He says, desire spiritual gifts. Desire spiritual gifts. But especially that you may prophesy. Now, this entire chapter, we already started with this chapter, really, in our very first message. We identified that the Christian, the Corinthian church, was operating in spiritual gifts. But they were also a messed up group of people. They were operating in all kinds of crazy things. We, are, we already identified that the value is on the fruit of the Spirit and the character of the Spirit rather than the gifts of the Spirit and the power of the Spirit. Amen? Y'all, y'all see that? So we already know where the value's at because I've already given you the overview of Corinthians. But what he's doing here is he's bringing integrity back to the Holy Spirit. He's bringing the integrity. The purpose of this chapter is to provide integrity for church gatherings. This does not change the personal use of tongues. We're, he's going to give us some outlines into what the purpose of tongues is for, 
and he hints on some personal stuff, but he's mostly discussing how do we maintain integrity in our church services. Because integrity is the key for preservation. Integrity is the key for preservation. Archaeologists, when they go and they want to dig up bones of a dinosaur or remains of something from a long time ago, the number one thing they're after is integrity. They don't just go in there with, you know, a big old, you know, I don't even know what you call them, a truck with a big old thing on the front, and just start digging and picking up bones and dumping them into, what do they do? They got little brushes, they've got little tools, and they are going through it finely. Why? To maintain the integrity of the structure. Don't go bulldozing our way into the Holy Spirit. We are going line upon line. We've had people just bulldoze the whole way through the Holy Spirit and just blow it all open and decide what is and what is. And and we're going to go line upon line. And so that's what he's doing here. Why? Because we want to preserve it. We want to preserve it. And so we see here that neither love nor the gifts of the Spirit come naturally. They have to have a hunger for you. You have to go after them. You have to pursue them. You have to desire them. And we need to be a church that desires spiritual gifts in operation in our church. Okay? There's been times where for me and my background that I want to go into things, but I've, got, I've learned this. There has to be a desire for it. Why am I going to try to communicate something to you that you have no desire for I'm trying to tell you about ice cream. You've never had ice cream before. So what do you got to do? You got to try it. The reason I eat ice cream today is because at one point in my life when I was a young kid, somebody gave me ice cream, and I liked it, and so I decided I want more of that. I've also found out in my life that the things that were shoved down my throat and I was forced to eat, I don't eat them because I didn't like them. Some of you are laughing because you know I don't eat fruit. I don't eat fruit. I don't eat any fruit. I have eaten some fruit, but I do not eat fruit. Because when I was five years old, I was in a daycare where some daycare lady decided to shove peaches down my throat. Made me eat them. Now, I don't think that's the only reason. I mean, I just have never liked fruit. I didn't eat fruit prior to that. And for the longest time, I always wondered why. And about a year year ago, my dad told me that he doesn't eat fruit. Never knew that. I thought I was just this weird creature. So me and him, me and him are the two weird people on the planet that don't eat any fruit. But the way that I was introduced to it, wasn't the most loveliest way either. So I understand that the introducing of a subject determines your desire for it. And so that's why we've been so steady with this. Now we got to move. Goodness. All right, let's go. Verse 2. For he who speaks in a tongue, this is the key, does not speak to men, but to God. Did y'all see that? He who speaks in a tongue does not speak to men, he speaks to God. 
I had a guy one time that got bent out of shape because we were in a service and we, we moved into a time where the pastor holding the microphone was praying in tongues and everybody around him was praying in tongues and this guy was not uh, uh, spirit-filled. And he got all bent out of shape because everybody was praying in tongues and, and the pastor's praying in tongues, but there was no interpretation. And I said, well, it's, it's real simple. It's real easy. They're not talking to you. Why do you need to know? They're not even, they're not having a conversation with you. Verse 2 clearly tells me when I speak in a tongue, I'm not speaking to man. I'm speaking unto God. Well, I can hear it. I, I go places and hear all kinds of conversations. And I'm not concerned with what they're saying. On top of that, I've been outside of the country. I've been to Nicaragua twice. And there's one interpreter and 40 Spanish guys. And they're all standing around having conversations, and I'm not walking around going, oh, man, dude, what is going on, man? I mean, there's, there's people talking in unknown. I mean, I don't know what they're saying. They could be talking about me. I, they, could, they could be trying to give me a word. I mean, these three guys over here having a conversation, they're laughing. What, what are they talking? They're laughing. They're, what are they saying? No. Come on, guys, we've got to use some common sense. God has given us a brain. They're not talking to me. Now, if one of those Spanish guys comes up to me and starts going, what am I going to do? Hold on a minute. Interpreter, come here. Now go. Why? Because he's talking to me. He's having a conversation with me. How many of you have ever heard me pray to God in a microphone? I mean, in English, in English. How many of you have ever heard me pray to God? Come on, every hand should go up. I just did it a little while ago. Did you forget already? No problem. I'm not talking to you. I'm talking to God. So if I switched over and went into tongues, still holding a microphone, but you're hearing me pray to God. It's my personal edification. It's not for you. Now, if everything got quiet and everything stopped and I was doing it in a way that was directed towards you, well, then what do you need? An interpreter. Because you just told me something, but I don't understand what you're saying. Come on. So he who speaks in a tongue does not speak to men. They're not talking to you, but he speaks to God. For no one understands him. Nowhere in the Bible do we say, well, you should know. You should understand what I'm saying. It's tongues. You're spirit-filled. I'm spirit-filled. You should know what's going on. Come on. Are you in tune with the Holy Spirit? No, nowhere do we have this assumption. However... In the spirit, he speaks mysteries. Why is it a mystery? Because you don't know it. You don't understand it. Verse 3. 
But he who prophesies speaks edification and exhortation and comfort to men. So now we've just received a guideline. Who loves guidelines? Come on. Guidelines are good. Guidelines keep balance. Guidelines keep you in the right direction. Guidelines uh, state a purpose. And we just received a guideline for a prophecy. It should edify, that means encourage, exhortation, build up, and comfort. Well, man, I was torn down. I was discouraged and rattled. Well, then that probably wasn't a prophecy from God. Pretty simple. But he who prophesies, and what's a prophecy? A prophecy is a word from God to man. See, when when, when I'm praying in tongues for my own personal use, I'm talking to God. But see, tongues can be used in the other direction. can be used from God through me as a vessel to you. And then you can receive the prophecy. The prophecy, prophecies are from God to man. From God to man. From God to man. We've changed their direction now. Verse 4. He who speaks in a tongue edifies himself. Now here's where we're going. Because we're talking about the personal use. We're talking about the purpose. Well, I don't understand what I'm saying. It just sounds like a bunch of noise. Well, you're forgetting. You're forgetting that you in your mind have nothing to do with this. You're forgetting that you are a spirit being. So not everything has to relate to your natural flesh. So what's he saying? He who speaks in a tongue edifies himself. That means I can be strengthened in a place that I don't see by saying something I don't know. But I'm still being built up some more. He who speaks in a tongue edifies himself. He who prophesies, he who prophesies edifies the church. Prophecy is for the building up of the body, for the encouragement of the church. Look what verse 5 says. I wish you all spoke with tongues. It's Paul speaking. I wish you all spoke with tongues. But even more that you prophesied. For he who prophesies is greater than he who speaks with tongues. In the church setting, unless indeed he interprets that the church may receive edification. A prophecy in English in the church is greater than a tongue in an unknown language. It's greater. But it doesn't dissolve the purpose of praying in tongues. Verse 6, but now, brethren, if I come to you speaking with tongues, what shall I profit you unless I speak to you by revelation, knowledge, prophesying, or teaching? So then they says, now if I direct my tongues towards you, what does it build you up? What does it do for you? We've got we to skip around on this a little bit. I'm going to have to jump around. Verse 13, skip on down to verse 13. Therefore, let him who speaks in a tongue pray that he may interpret. Why? Because I want to edify those that I'm speaking to. For if I pray in a tongue, my spirit prays. My spirit prays. My spirit prays. If I'm praying in an unknown tongue, I'm not praying it. My spirit's praying it through my flesh. But my understanding 
is unfruitful. It's just bypassed my mind. It's gone from my spirit to my mouth without my mind getting in the way. And how many of you know, sometimes you need to get your head out of your prayers. It's your mind that's hindering your prayers. So you need a time where you just let the Holy Spirit pray through you, let your spirit pray through your mouth, and your mind doesn't have any idea, so your mind can't get in the way and say, whoa, God, I can't do that. Can can he do it? If he will. Can he will it? I mean, is he going to call me? Is he going to send me? Is he going to do this? You're the one that gets in the way of most of your prayers anyway, so why wouldn't you want to pray in a way where your mind is just out of the way? But my understanding is unfruitful. What is the conclusion then? I will pray with the Spirit. Now I'll also pray with the understanding. I will sing with the Spirit. And I will also sing with the understanding. What's the answer? Do both. Don't throw one out over the other. Do them both. Pray in the Spirit and pray in English. Sing in the Spirit and sing in English. Why, does, why do we have such a hard time staying in the middle of the road? We have such a hard time finding balance in these things. Paul doesn't say do one over the other. He says do both. Pray in the Spirit and pray with understanding. Pray in a known language and pray in an unknown language. Down in verse 18, he says, I think, my God, I speak with tongues more than, all, more than you all. I thank God that I pray in tongues. Me, personally, I thank God for the ability to pray in tongues. Go over to Romans chapter 8. Come on, I got to end here. I got to end right here. Romans chapter 8. When you pick up your children, you you better let them know how thankful you are for their service to the kingdom and their service to your children and to you this morning. But we got to get this, we got to get this out. This is why we train our teachers. They're not back there pulling their hair out. Oh, my God, Pastor Mark, he's going over an hour. What are you going to do? No, we train them in development. And there's a meeting tomorrow night. And if you serve with our children, you need to be at that meeting because we train you and we teach you. If you come to, if you miss out on the meetings and then you come to service and we have opportunities where you don't know what to do, it's your fault because we offer the training and the, the building up so you can operate at the highest level of excellence with these children. Amen. Romans chapter 8, verse 26. Likewise, the Spirit also helps in our weaknesses. Our weaknesses. What is my weakness? He says in the next statement. For we do not know. You are always the weakest when you don't know something. Ask any military person. There's strength that comes with knowledge. There's strength that comes when I know something. Clarity and understanding brings strength. But the Spirit helps. In our weaknesses. For we do not know what we should pray for as we ought. Anybody in this room ever not know what to pray for? Me and three people. Okay. No, we've all been in a time where we've needed to pray, but we just don't know what to pray for, what to be praying about. Well, guess what? Jesus said, I am going to the Father. And it's to your advantage because I'm going to send to you the Helper. Now, if you are moving, if you're moving, and you say, hey, man, I need your help moving. I need your help. You know, i got to load this truck up with all my furniture. Can you come help me? And then they show up. Do you leave and go do whatever you want to do and say, all right, guys, thanks so much. Appreciate it. You do it. You got this. Awesome. Believe in you. Got till three. I hope not. 
If you ask me and then you leave, I'm leaving. Where are we going? No. He helps us. That means he needs you. The Holy Spirit isn't praying instead of you. He's praying through you. Okay. So, the Holy Spirit is our helper. For we do not know what to pray for as we ought. But the Spirit himself makes intercession for us with groanings which cannot be uttered. Uh, that which cannot be uttered, that does not mean silent. There's no such thing as a silent prayer. Okay? Let me just go ahead and get that out there while we're stinking it. That's because you don't value words. And let me just throw it out as well. There's no silent prayer requests. If I don't know what I'm praying for, I cannot pray for you. I cannot attach my faith to your prayer if I don't know what we're praying for. Well, I, I just got a silent prayer. We used to do that all the time as, as kids. We used to do, uh, you know, it, it, growing up, we'd get in a circle and just say, okay, what do you got to pray for? Well, I got a silent prayer request. And it was harmless until I learned about faith and how I can't attach faith to nothing. I mean, I can pray for you generally, but I can't attach faith to your particular thing. Okay, that's separate. That's for free. We don't, no charge. Now, he who searches the hearts knows what the mind of the Spirit is because he makes intercession for the saints. Watch this. According to the will of God. If you want to pray the perfect prayer every time, pray in the Spirit. Pray in the Spirit. Remember, praying in the Spirit means praying in tongues, an unknown language. Pray in the Spirit. Pray in the Spirit. Praying in the Spirit ought to be a daily, regular occurrence. i got to show you one more verse. Come on. Guys, go ahead. Jude, Jude chapter 1. Jude chapter 1. There's only one chapter, so it's just Jude. But for your benefit, Jude chapter 1, verse 20. Jude chapter 1, verse 20. But you, beloved, building yourselves up on your most holy faith, praying in the Holy Spirit. 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 Uh, We don't have time to look at it. Ephesians chapter 5 tells us that we can sing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. Spiritual songs can be two things. It can be a song in English that just comes rising up out of your spirit that the Holy Spirit gives to you. You're not reading words. You're not uh, singing a song you already know, but it's a spiritual song. But it can also mean singing in the spirit. We just saw Paul say that I'll pray in the English and I'll, or I'll pray in a known language and pray in an unknown language. I'll sing in a known language and I'll sing in an unknown language. in the spirit builds you up you ever feel down you ever feel discouraged you ever feel like you don't know what to do or what 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 can be done about something you pray in the spirit you pray in the holy spirit another instance over here in acts chapter four the disciples they're 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 being we're only two chapters after the book uh, after pentecost and and the disciples are being persecuted They, they were they were threatened with their lives threatened with jail and in verse 31, it tells us that they came together in one accord. God loves it when his people come together. 
They came together. And they began to glorify God and praise God. And it says this in verse 31. Uh, do we have it in there? Acts chapter 4, verse 31. Just throw it up there real quick. And when they had prayed, the place they were assembled together was shaken. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit. Now, wait a minute. I thought they were filled with the Holy Spirit in Acts chapter 2. But what? They were filled with the Holy Spirit again? Yes. Because God desired this filling of the Holy Spirit to be a continual thing. Be continually filled. Be continually filled. So there's times where I just need to pray in tongues. Pray in the Spirit because Jude tells me it builds me up. You have a spirit man that needs to be built up. It's like working out for your spirit man. Your spirit man gets weak when we don't pray in the Spirit. And how are you going to do anything powerful with the weak spirit? We have to be built up on the inside. But praying in tongues is the evidence of being filled with the Holy Spirit. It's not weird. It's not kooky. It's not crazy. I don't know what you're saying. Or you just made it up. No, it comes from the inside. It requires your assistance as you speak it out. But you're speaking out mysteries. I can tell you stories of people that have prayed in the Spirit, just felt an unction to pray. And what does that mean? It just feels there's a, there's a desire on the inside that says, man, I just got to gotta pray. And they would pray. And they felt to release. You know what? Whatever it was, I don't know. But it's, it's, it's clear. I, I feel a release. And then they find out the next day of some tragedy, something that took place, and they knew instantly that's what I was praying about. See, when you pray in English, you're limited to your knowledge. Well, guess what? Nobody knows everything. But the Holy Spirit knows everything. And when you allow Him to pray through you in an unknown language, you can make things happen in the spirit realm. If you think that we're just limited to the world and the natural world that we see and live in, you are sadly mistaken. I know, I know stories of people in 9-11 that were prompted by the Holy Spirit saying, we're not going to work today. Oh, it's just a coincidence. No, it's the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is guiding, leading, teaching, and through praying in tongues, praying in an unknown language, we can pray out mysteries. We can pray out the perfect will of God. You don't know the will of God for your life? Pray in tongues. Because you'll pray, the Bible tells us, according to the will of God. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Father, we thank you this morning. We thank you this morning for your Holy Spirit. We thank you for your Holy Spirit. And we thank you that you have given us a way to personally build ourselves up within ourselves. Praying in the Spirit. Praying in an unknown tongue. Father, I thank you that we allow your Holy Spirit to operate as he needs to, as he wants to. That we don't hinder a move of the Spirit. We don't hinder an operation of the Holy Spirit in our lives. Father, for those of us that this is new information, for those of us that have never heard this, Father, I pray that you illuminate the Scriptures to us. That you help us see these things. That you help us... uh, 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 
See, with clarity and with knowledge what you have for your people. This is a free gift, you said. This is the promise of the Father that you said would be sent to us. But Father, we accept it, we acknowledge it, and we live by it. We thank you for your Holy Spirit and his move and operation in our lives. In Jesus' name, amen.